Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're going to be chatting and this may, in fact, turn out to have been another domestic violence horror, but we don't know. We'll find out. But we're going to be chatting with Danielle Pollock, who is the policy manager for the National Family Violence Law Center in just a few minutes. And in anticipation of that, I wanted to report to you a very local story. And I want you to hear the facts very clearly. Ethan Fry reporting for the Connecticut Post. In a headline that says that a Trumbull man has gotten five years for a, quote, brutal and vicious domestic assault in Milford. Now... I really want you to hear these facts, and I want you to respond. I would like to hear your thoughts on this case. 203-333-9422. I would like to hear your thoughts on the facts of what transpired in, in terms of the way the case has made its way throughout our system. So what happened is, apparently, and this is a jury trial, which is very significant, a six-person jury, Congratulations to the people who won tickets. Thank you so much for calling. Gary and Valerie, you got the answer correctly, and I hope that I'll see you on Saturday night. We might have another pair of tickets. We'll give them away tomorrow. The victim, so let me tell you what happened in Milford. A six-person jury, not a 12-person jury, because for whatever reason, a 12-person jury was not needed to be convened for this, found the defendant, 33-year-old Shane Kral, K-R-A-L, guilty of third-degree assault and two counts of violating a protective order. Okay, so that already gives you a clue, right? So there was a protective order against this man at the time that this crime occurred. I don't have to say alleged any longer because a jury found him guilty of the crime. Now, here's what happened, okay? Okay. Um, The victim... And the victim had a six-year-old child. And it doesn't say the victim was a wife. But the victim was clearly in some kind of a relationship with this man. Okay? The victim told police that she was a passenger in a vehicle that Kral was driving on this particular afternoon in June of 2021 on Route 15 South, which we know as the Merritt Parkway, in the area of Exit 55 in Milford. And while the two were having a verbal argument, 
Kral began to punch her in the face repeatedly. The six-year-old, obviously, in the back seat. She witnessed this. The assault continued as they drove over the Sikorsky Bridge before Kral exited the highway at exit 52 and eventually dropped the victim off at home. According to an arrest warrant, a DCF caseworker interviewed the child who corroborated the victim's account and also the child said at six that Kral had threatened to kill them and drive the car off the highway during the incident. Now, there was a jury trial about this, and the jury found the person guilty. This particular article focuses on the sentencing hearing. And I'm going to tell you what the reporting is from the Connecticut Post, Ethan Fry, about the sentencing hearing at 203-333-9422. During the February 6th sentencing hearing, Assistant State's Attorney Matthew Kaldhoff asked Judge Gordon Hall, H. Gordon Hall, to send Kral to prison because he said the incident was a really horrendous act of violence. And not only that, Kral had several prior convictions and even pending cases in other jurisdictions. Again, the article doesn't go into the other jurisdictions, but definitely prior convictions. And the prosecutor said a period of incarceration is appropriate in this case, Given the extent of the violence and given the extent of Mr. Kral's record, a relatively significant sentence would be appropriate, said the prosecutor. Now, here's the interesting part. And again, we're going to have an expert on domestic violence join us in just a couple of moments. But here's what's really interesting. From the point of view of society and how complex and difficult domestic violence cases are from other kinds of crimes, stranger versus stranger. The victim told the judge that she was hesitant to speak at the sentencing because of conflicting emotions she felt toward Kral, who she said has alcohol abuse issues. And while she said Kral would benefit from, quote, some time alone, she said a lengthy prison sentence would not be, quote, ready, conducive to the ambition and motivation he desperately needs to get his life going in the direction to have the quality of life he does deserve as a human being. So in other words, she is the victim. She did testify. She did go ahead and prosecute the case. No question about it. But, but in the sentencing piece, it looks like she's asking for the judge to consider all of this. Consider all of this, okay? She's not asking for the judge to throw the book at him. Here's the other interesting part. Kral's own lawyer, public defender John Walkley, asked the judge to give his client a 10-year sentence to be suspended after he served three years. Citing letters written by Kral's friends and family supporting him. And said, I believe that Mr. Kral does have a willingness and will make an effort to get healthy. Now, the judge didn't see it that way. And the judge went ahead and instead of doing three years of a 10-year, decided that because he looked at the victim's testimony to the, uh, he said the victim's testimony to the jury was credible. He said the photographs of her heavily bruised, swollen, and bloody face were shocking, even given her description of what happened in the car. And he called it a brutal and vicious beating. 
He also said, the judge upon sentencing, that Kral's record included at least 18 arrests and several convictions for which he had been sentenced to serve more than five years behind bars already. Quote, this isn't his first rodeo. So what the judge did is he, ser- he sentenced him to 10 years to be suspended after he served five, not three, exceeding what the defense wanted, and then followed by another three years of probation, and he admonished Kral to, quote, not make it a waste of time. So I'm telling you the facts of this case because it's a local case. Happened right here in our neighborhood, right here in Milford. It has to do with a woman who suffered a violent injury from a man who clearly she's emotionally involved with. And yet, at the sentencing, the woman who was the victim, and we give her tremendous, tremendous uh, props for the courage that it takes to go ahead and try and see that justice is served for her injuries, because a lot of women in these situations will not do that, but she did. Whoever this woman is, tremendous courage. And yet, and yet, she's asking the judge to consider the big picture of his life ahead of him. Because clearly she's hoping that this time in jail will somehow reform him, even though he has 18 prior convictions. So I'm Lisa Wexler. We're going to talk with somebody who knows a lot more about this subject than I do. And her name is Danielle Pollack. She is the policy manager at the National Family Violence Law Center. We're focusing on the causes, the solutions, the policies, all of the different ways in which in our society, incidents of violence in our homes erupts into calamitous consequences. And you know that I'm not exaggerating. I'm so exhausted and sad about having to report one after another of beautiful women in the prime of their lives getting killed, killed by people who were supposed to love them. Uh, It's bad enough, the kind of crime that we have stranger on stranger, and that's another problem altogether. But we are supposed to be picking partners in this world who love us, who care for us, who are tender toward us. And it seems like so often these relationships go haywire. And most of the time it's men who are extremely violent and controlling And their behavior goes absolutely off the rails. And even as these women are crying out for help and terrified in their own boots, quaking out of terror in their own boots, sometimes no matter how often and how much we say that we're better than this and we can protect women, we fail. 203-333-9422. So joining us right now is Danielle Pollack, who is the policy manager at the National Family Violence Law Center at GW Law in D.C., the originator of something called Caden's Law, which we're going to find out about in just a moment. And she joins us right now, working closely in collaboration with state and federal lawmakers, partner organizations. I found out about her through Connecticut Protective Moms, uh, which we had an amazing interview with the the lead founder of that at ctprotectivemoms.org. You ought to check that out or join their face on Facebook, or join their page on Facebook. Danielle Pollack, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. Hello, and thank you for being with us. Hi, thank you, Lisa. I'm happy to be here. Danielle, did you just happen to hear me talk a little bit about the Milford story and the sentencing hearing that was just reported today in which a victim who'd had her face punched, I mean, just tremendous injury, and it went to a six-person jury trial which found him guilty of assault and violating a protective order, right? Not insignificant. Mm-hmm. And yet at the sentencing hearing, this victim who was nameless and who I applaud for her enormous courage to begin with, 
But mm-hmm. she was basically asking the judge uh, to to consider the fact that this man shouldn't necessarily stay in jail all that long because he too deserved to be able to reform and have a better life. She was, that's what she was pleading. And mm-hmm. p- part of my heart in hearing that was very sad because this man had 18 prior convictions. And I also would like to believe that people reform and get well and rehabilitate. But after 18 prior convictions and already serving time for five years, and now again, he's only 33, this man, the likelihood that he won't commit violence against another woman, I don't know, I'm not God. Maybe he can find God and be okay. But Mm -hmm. the fact that the victim was the one pleading for this. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask your thoughts about this, Danielle. Yeah, I mean, of course, domestic violence, as you know, it's uh, so complicated. It is. It's a constant sort of negotiation um, between the abuser and the victim uh, and the cycles of domestic violence. You know, the abuser sort of plays on the victim's empathy um, and, you know, they 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 hurt, they harm, they injure, and then they often, you know, beg for apology, promise they'll never do it again, promise they're going to reform, they're going to find God, they're going to get help, and then, you know, they go back into the cycle. And it just goes over and over and over. And and it's really playing on the victim's empathy and, um, you know, wishes for uh, redemption or renewal or, um, you know, this peaceful, happy ending. And uh, uh, perpetrators of of domestic violence often target people who are very sort of kind-hearted, generous, you know, willing to forgive, because that accommodates what the abuser's goal is, which is to, you know, dominate their their victim. Um, and, And a lot of it is physical, of course, obviously in this case, but so much of the abuse is also psychological and um, just about um, controlling the victim's mind and mindset. And so we do see it frequently in cases where clearly the person is, you know, a grave danger to whatever intimate partner he has and very often any children involved. Um, And nevertheless, um, you know, the, the victim still has this kind of like, uh, distant hope that the, that things will all just work out and he will somehow become a nice guy. But I would also add a caveat to that, that many times um, victims will sort of, they will either recant or they will ask for kind of lesser sentencing and they're doing it out of fear. Um, so it's hope on one side in, in some cases and in many times it's fear because they know that eventually the perpetrator will likely come back and try to harm them again um, or their children again. And they um, victims also are sensitive to the fact that the legal system only helps them up to a certain point. Um, And really then they'll be left on their own to deal with this dangerous individual. And so I think victims are very often trying to negotiate um, what will sort of keep them safe enough, but not um, anger uh, or incite the abuser 
more than is necessary because they know they will very likely pay that retribution that will be coming. So sometimes they'll recant for this reason. Mm. Um, they'll be coerced into to recanting. I and see. they their, their decision-making around what is safer, um, you know, and sometimes to the outside observer, that doesn't make sense. You know, it's just sort of like, why, why aren't you asking for a life sentence, you know? Um, because the victim knows that they won't get necessarily, you know, the rest of their lives in prison and they'll be 100% safe from this person, that person will be coming back. And if, if the victim can say, you know, well, you know, I was trying to get safe at that point because you really were bad on that day. Um, but, you know, I did tell them not to be too hard on you. you they, mm. they're, they're negotiating this kind of um, wow. thing in their mind. So I think that's kind of what victims are going through in many cases, which, you know, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to the outside observer. Like, why, why, why are you asking for this? Um, it's really a safety strategy. Thank you for that. I didn't realize that. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. We have Evan from Shelton calling. Evan is a caller to the show. Evan, I believe you're a retired police officer. Is that right? Yeah. How you doing? Uh, thanks for having us on. Um, in, in my 26 years, I witnessed this a lot. I think one of the biggest things that I saw with women, uh, one of the things uh, factors was I can change him. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll show him. I'll show him so much love. I can turn him around. I can see, make him see things differently. Um, you know, I can change him. And well, that's one of the things that they keep trying to do, even though he's not changing, but they just keep having hope. And it's uh, something that, you know, I can do this. I can change him. Um, the other thing is, I, I don't know if you guys just talked about this or not, but uh, Lifeline, there was a woman who, This thankfully, this is after uh, Tracy Thurman. Um, this guy just pushed her head uh, into the dashboard of the van, uh, she had to go to the hospital. When she found out that we arrested him, she called me. She actually called me from the hospital, screaming, begging me to let him go. So she depended on this man for everything, food, shelter, everything. Um, and she did not want to lose that because she had no other way of, you know, surviving in a sense, which is sad. So I, I also noticed that a lot of this, uh, a lot of these kids come from broken families where mom was abused. And Lisa, believe it or not, they, <laughs> they actually seek men who abuse them, uh, just like their father abused their parents. So this is just, I think there's a lot of uh, mental illness here 
um, that, that leads to this, you know, um, good people, good kids seek out abusers, unfortunately. Um, and that's just, that's just the shame of it. And I, I don't know, it has to start early. Uh, these, yeah. these kids take the abuse. And when I say kids, I mean from, you know, 16-year-olds uh, with boyfriends, which I experienced that. There was just a, a gorgeous girl that I had, uh, gorgeous. I mean, drop-dead gorgeous. She had everything. She was smart, everything. Came from an abusive home. And she went out with this guy who just constantly abused her. So there's all these factors, which I'm sure you're going to talk about, that I've seen. And it's not going to stop until these people are made to see that there's a better life. I don't know how to do that. I hope that Mm -hmm. there's organizations out there that are working on that. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So Evan from Shelton, a former police officer, he, that was a lot to unpack, Danielle, and what he said about um, Mm -hmm. the origins of family violence, the patterns of family violence, and, Mm -hmm. and the lifeline, the economic lifeline, which I also know to be very true in my life, that there are women who, um, who just can't get away from abusive relationships because they need the bills to be paid. It's as real as that. Or the man is supporting their extended family, elderly parents, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I've seen those cases too. So tell me about this. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of two parts to that, right? Um, absolutely. Um, you know, um, income inequity and we just we know from the data that uh you know women earn less on the dollar than men for the same work um we know that um access to opportunity is more limited for women particularly for women of color immigrant women um women with disabilities and so you know just as a the society we live in um women have a uh, less economic capacity in in on the whole, um, you know, of course, individuals, uh, there are always exceptions, but on the whole, women have a more difficult access to, to economic independence. And, of course, then women still are the primary caregivers of mm-hmm. children, especially young children, overwhelmingly. I mean, and again, there are always exceptions to that, and society is changing, and fathers, um, in many cases, are being more uh, involved in the caregiving of children um, in certain families. But but for the most part, um, it's still women doing that work, and that means they're out of the workforce. So, uh, you know, they oftentimes, even if they do have a career, they'll have a career gap when they begin to have children. Um and so it is It is very, very difficult if you do not have economic independence to leave your abuser if he is the uh, primary earner and controls the money um, in the family. Um, so that, that, that's a very real concern. And many times victims, uh, you know, won't leave for that reason because they just don't have enough, especially no. to get housing, stable housing um, and transportation. Um, the other part about that, um, which the the previous caller was talking about was the intergenerational uh, aspect of domestic violence, and he was talking about how these kids who are subjected to domestic violence in their home um, growing up then go out and they partner with individuals who are abusive. And they're nice kids; they're you know they have a lot of ability, et cetera. 
but then they they kind of go towards um, what is familiar. And some, you know, we all go towards what is familiar, <laughs> whether it's good for us or, or not. Um, and in many, many cases, um, kids who are subjected to abusers in their home do do this. Um, they because it's, it's it feels normal in some ways, yeah. um, even though you know they may be scared or or you know have some apprehensions. It also feels familiar. And so part of what we do at the National Family Violence Law Center is to really try to target the. Um, how the children uh, are exposed and court ordered back to be in the care of the abuser when the victim uh, and the protective parent is trying to exit and trying to get her children to safety. Yeah. All um, right. So let's get into that. So you're saying, let's say a woman, because it is mostly women, let's say Mm -hmm. a woman is finally got the gumption and we know rationally it's very, very difficult time to leave an abuser and it's a very scary time. Well, let's say she's done it and she's on the way to doing it and she's filed for divorce and she Mm -hmm. wants full custody because she believes that exposing her child to this abusive person is bad for the child. But the Mm -hmm. judge is looking at the law, which insists on joint custody, you know, subject to or presumption of joint custody, which has to be overcome by a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, what, as a matter of domestic policy, you know, what are you arguing for? Because on the other side, there are many men who argue that the women are trumping up charges to keep them from their children. They argue mm-hmm. alienation of affection, and they feel mm-hmm. that they too are being manipulated by an unfair justice system. So mm-hmm. how do we how do we get to justice and the truth of this, Danielle? Yeah, I mean these are contested custody cases are complicated and difficult they to are. assess. Um, I don't I would you know I don't envy to, uh, any family court judge. It's a difficult job. Um, that being said, is. so yeah. um, in private custody litigation. There's very little oversight of what happens in there. Those are um, closed cases, so there's not a lot of uh, press uh, aware of what's happening in those cases. And there is something that um, a journalist named Grant Wyeth has called a repugnant market. Um, and that is, in essence, sort of a market has been created to service uh, individuals who are in these contested custody cases. And, um, and they don't oftentimes care much about what is in the best interest of the child. They they care about, you know, profitability, Um, you know, it's their career. So um, they come in. Are we accusing lawyers? Who who are the they? Be very specific with me. What are we talking about here? So uh, everyone from uh, attorneys, custody evaluators, um, uh, guardian ad litems, um, and then reunification, quote unquote, therapists. Uh, or those who provide "quote unquote" treatments, which are unregulated, um, and, and and people who come in to provide expert testimony, um, and so this the, it's what's happening in the private custody courts is that people who are accused of abusing um, their partner or their children are able to kind of call on or rely on these uh, this cottage industry that's bloomed up, you know, in, over the last three or four decades in, in family court. Um, and so these people will come and, you know, provide strategy for them, how to um, uh, minimize uh, allegations of abuse, how to discredit the person who's claiming abuse. 
um, and bring in experts um, that are costly. So, you know, you do have to have money if you want to really bring in a whole battalion to defend yourself against abuse allegations. Now, that's not to say that, that, that no one ever makes a false allegation of abuse. It mm-hmm. does happen. It happens mm-hmm. in a tiny percent of cases in contested mm. custody. And we know that in contested custody, the person who's, who's most likely um, to make a, a false allegation of abuse is someone who's not the primary caregiver. So usually the, the man, not always. There are always exceptions. Um, so for the most part, if you're going to go in and you're going to uh, allege abuse, and oftentimes you do have evidence of that, um, you're not doing it lightly. Um, you know, you, you you don't win any prizes for, for alleging abuse, as, you know, Amber Heard and endless cases show, you know, um, you're not, it's not, um, it's not a walk in the park. So usually if you get to that point and you're in a contested custody case and, and you're alleging abuse, it's really because you feel like you and or your children are in danger. Um, and what's happened in the custody courts is this kind of cottage industry that relies on some junk science concepts has come in and really um, permeated the family court culture. And so what's happening now is when one party alleges abuse and the other party alleges, uh, you mentioned alienation, this is one of the mm-hmm. kind of key junk science concepts that's, that's in the family <laughs> courts, um, although it's not scientifically supported, it's, um, it's a concept that's frequently used as a, as a legal tactic to diminish um, valid abuse claims. Mm. And so... The courts, the custody courts do try to, um, you know, give uh, as much access to both parents um, as possible in many states. I mean, every state custody law is a little bit different. Some are more uh, preferential to uh, shared custody um, and some are uh, more considerate of um, when there's abuse or risk to be more protective of the child Um, in in. And then the, the, the part to be aware of is that the statute is written one way, and then the individual judges and decision makers in these cases, they have wide discretion to apply it kind of how they want. So, you know, for example, in Connecticut, your, your statute um, has, you know, all of your best interest factors, and one judge may really, you know, put a lot of care and weight on the consideration around um, domestic violence, whereas another judge may not, you know, feel that that's the most important thing. They may feel that it's more important that the child have contact with both parents, regardless of whether there's risk um, or or evidence of uh, history of abuse. Yeah. And so the, those value judgments, well, judge. we're always going to have, we're always going to have value judgments when it comes to yeah. people making decisions and every case is so fact specific, no matter what you write in the law, it still comes down to a fact specific case. Danielle, mm-hmm. we're running out of time. What I want to do is allow our audience to contact you offline if they wish to, how would they best do that? They can um, go to our website if they want to see more about our work, um, which is the national family violence law center at GW law. They can email me, um, D Pollock at law dot G W U dot E D U. That's a mouthful, but, but it's the, a mouthful. but it's the yeah. national policy. 
whatever policy. Your name is it's Danielle a, Pollack, P-O-L-L-A-C-K. Yeah. They can find you that way, I guess. They can find me that way. And also I host um, a monthly um, a kind of live advocacy policy session um, at the National Safe Parents Organization. People can become a member. It's free. And every second Thursday uh, we do a talk and we bring on another expert to kind of talk about these policy issues. Thank you, Danielle. There's Thank a lot you. more to talk about. It's only been a few minutes. It went very quickly. We'll have you back on the show. Danielle Pollock, Policy Manager, National Family Violence Law Center. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 